The greatest Christmas gift of all is the gift of Christ the King. Now, both Christ, Christos in Greek, and Messiah or Mashiach in Hebrew mean anointed in English. And they translate so much, I don't know why they just didn't put it, anointed. Now, in Israel, men were anointed by a prophet a prophet of God, to serve his people as kings, most notably David by Samuel to start the Messianic line. But we find from Psalm 2 that Yahweh himself anointed his son to rule all the way to the ends of the earth to bless all who take refuge in him while warning those who reject him of destruction. Now, from all of this, people must realize that even though the only way to enter and remain in God's kingdom on earth now and heaven forever is through the gift of Christ the King, the Savior of the world, there is a requirement attached to this gift. And most notably, all gifts must be received. What good is the giving of a gift that someone will not receive? So entry into and continuing life in God's kingdom, Jesus' church, and salvation from sins requires that people must continuously repent. In other words, they must turn from their self and their self-centered desires. And secondly, they must fully trust God in Jesus in any and all circumstances that God may send their way. Now, our text from the beginning of the gospel given through Mark illustrates these truths and more. Just succinctly, people must confess their sins as proof of repentance And then let me give you a little more background. Ten days after Jesus ascended back to the throne of the universe and his father, both of them sent the Holy Spirit on gathered Christians who were praying in an upper room, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, That's Acts 1 and true. They were filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Now, all children in God's family must walk or live in the Spirit of God, which was given through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. And then our psalm portion teaches us that all who live in the three-in-one covenant God, Yahweh, they're protected and guarded by him and the spiritual beings that he commands. So these are big picture, high-level things. Now let's look at how these words of both promise and command work themselves out in our daily lives. So first, there's two big parts to this message in these passages. First, John prepared the way for Christ, Messiah, by baptizing 
of a repentance to forgiveness of sins. And then Jesus comes along and he's baptized, tested, and preaches good news of God. So first we find out about John the forerunner, then Jesus as he enters the scene. Now the beginning part about John says he came to prepare the way for Jesus Christ, preaching and baptizing repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And then John said, he is mighty. When he comes, he's mighty and he will baptize in Holy Spirit. So let me go through this now um, line by line. Beginning of gospel of Jesus Christ, son of God, as has been written in Isaiah the prophet. Now, by the time Mark wrote this, it was about 55 AD. And he wrote this account of Jesus from Peter's account given to him because Peter called Mark his spiritual son. And most people now believe this is Peter's reminiscence through his spiritual son. Maybe Peter couldn't write. But they knew both of them that there were over 25 more years of work that Jesus was doing in his church. This is all part of the good news. But this is to focus on everything through his resurrection. And Mark dramatically ends with the resurrection of Jesus. So, going on. Behold... I am sending my messenger before thee, meaning his son, who will prepare the way for thee. The voice of one shouting out in the wilderness, quote, you all must make ready the way of the Lord. Straight you must be making the paths of him. So Mark gives the prophetic background for John's ministry by quoting um, that a messenger was going to speak before God sent the one to comfort people with forgiveness. And that whole thing about comfort is the beginning of the New Testament portion, the prophetic portion of the Messiah from Isaiah, um, the comforting servant, Isaiah 40. Back to uh, Mark. It was John the one baptizing in the wilderness and preaching baptism of repentance to forgiveness of sins. This is, this is key, people. No one can be forgiven until he or she turns from himself or herself and also their own selfish desires and acts to God in Desperate humility. That's what repentance truly is. It's not something that you can just zip by. It's genuine, genuine, desperate humility and dependence on God. And then it was going out to him, was going out to him, all the land of Judea and all those of Jerusalem, and all were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Now, the original language is very clear on a bunch of different meanings of all. And in this situation, all does not mean each and every. Okay, And and if you read the gospel, the Pharisees and self-righteous were not going out to John. But in this instance... 
all means that most of the people in every town and village of Judea, most of them, and in most of the quarters of Jerusalem, most of them, they were going out to be baptized. Not all, but a huge majority. And the confession of sins. You see, uh, it occurred to me that a confession of my sins is proof that I have repented. What am I repenting of? Well, I specifically didn't do this, and I should have, and I did do this, and I shouldn't have. Continuing, we find out something about John. John had been clothed with hair of camel and money belt of leather around his loins and was eating locusts and wild honey. And he was preaching, he is coming, one mightier than me, after me, of whom not I am being worthy, having stooped down to loosen the strap of his sandals. So first we find out about his lifestyle. And John was like, an extremist that was almost insane. He was truly an ascetic, somebody who lives a very simple and very disciplined life focused on God. But what was the content of his preaching? The coming mighty one. Okay, some people thought John was really it. And he said, no, there's one coming mightier than I, much mightier. And then he continues, he says, I, I, even I, I've baptized you all with water. But he himself will baptize you all in the Holy Spirit. This is big. Now, after the Pentecost, when Jesus returned to his father, he and the father fully filled everyone who believed in him with the Holy Spirit. And the New Testament expands on all of this, that the Holy Spirit seals believers into Jesus' truth, especially Ephesians and 2 Corinthians. So here's the first application to us. It really affects every moment of our lives. Because of who the Holy Spirit is and what Jesus has done, we must all seek to be constantly, constantly filled with the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we'll be bigger and better than others, but we must always be filled. Then Jesus comes on the scene, and Jesus is baptized by John. The Spirit descends on him, and his Father speaks. And then after being tested, Jesus preaches good news of God, commanding repentance and belief. So returning to Mark, in those days he came, Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee, and he was baptized in the Jordan by John. Now, while many... Jews were being baptized by John, which is in an unfortunate truncation of his real name, Yohanan, which means Yahweh is gracious. Jesus was also baptized. And then Mark says, at once, coming up out of the water, he saw being torn into the heavens. And let me say, here in chapter 1, this very rare word, we would call it schism, schizo. The heavens were torn open. The very same word was used when Jesus expired on the cross. 
to pay the price for sins, and we're told that curtain in the temple was also torn in two. This is a big deal. And the spirit as a dove descending upon him, and the voice came from the heavens, Thou art being my beloved son. In thee I am well disposed. Here is the Trinity, and if you ever buy a simple book on what is the Trinity, this is the key verse in the Gospels. What's going on here? Jesus is baptized. The Holy Spirit descends on him as a dove immediately, and the voice of his Father pronounces a blessing on him, also in the same simultaneous instant. Uh, incident. There are three distinct persons named here, but they are together involved as one in this baptism. Mark continues, at once the Spirit is taking him into the wilderness, and he is being in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by the adversary. And he was being with the wild beast and angels were ministering to him. So, as soon, as soon as the Holy Spirit came upon him, Jesus, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now, let me do a little aside here, and and I hope you read it in a very good literal translation. Mark can make people dizzy with his rapid scene changes. This word I'm translating right now is at once, is 11 times in chapter 1. 11 times in the chapter, 40 times in the gospel. In the gospel. Do you realize that in all the gospels in the New Testament together, this word is only used 50 times, and Mark just piles it on in this gospel. But the point is, and this is so important, The Holy Spirit is leading Jesus to be tested and tried by the adversary. So please, please take this to heart. We must learn and accept that being filled with the Holy Spirit is not just for a blessing that we can feel good, but it is often followed by trials and tests, because we need the Holy Spirit to get through them. Remember, uh, whatever Jesus experienced on earth, and with all the victories he had, there were many low moments as well, including here when he was led into the desert for 40 days. His followers should also expect to experience, but also His followers, as his followers, we have hope. Why? Because he overcame and he will help us to also overcome in him. His last promise before going to the garden. But just understand, being filled with the Spirit can be preparation for trials and testing. And then we're told about beasts and angels I think the adversary pitted wild beasts against Jesus, but his father 
provided angels. And we'll see more about angels protecting as we move along. Then after John was handed over, in other words, handed over to be chained in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the good news of God. Okay? Preaching the gospel. Gospel is good news. And Jesus was telling people in the region of Galilee about the character and the deeds of the covenant God. Now, you may have heard something different read, so I did some research here. The original manuscripts all said preaching God here. Over a 100 years later, some scribe inserted the word kingdom. And when the King James Version was translated, nobody had found these older, more reliable um, manuscripts. But it does make sense that first you would preach God because nothing makes any sense without knowing God, his character, his person, and his deeds. Then Jesus continues, it has been fulfilled the time and it has come near the kingdom of God. You all must be repenting and you all must be believing in the gospel. So now kingdom comes in. Jesus adds to the teaching about God, the teaching about the kingdom. And Christ the king is declaring the nearness of God's kingdom. How? In the person of himself. As the king of kings has grown up and is mature and is 30 years old and is beginning his public ministry, he says, I am among you as the king of the kingdom of God. And then there are now two required responses. Remember I said in the beginning, nothing is totally free and only dependent on God. People must respond. And two things are commanded or required to be in God's kingdom. First, people must repent, as John had been preaching and preparing the way. But now Jesus has a second requirement. People must believe the good news about the three-in-one God, including everything about Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. All right, now we move into the second half. And and as always, things ratchet up and become more important. So Jesus calls two pairs of fishermen brothers, and they follow him. And then I think the psalm perfectly caps up all of the teaching, you know, puts a bow around it. Those who are living in Yahweh Most High will be protected from many dangers. So now let's finish this portion of Mark we heard this morning with the climax. Jesus calls two pairs of fishermen brothers to follow him, and they respond by leaving their nets and leaving their father to go after him. So uh, no longer at the Jordan where he was baptized, the southern Jordan, passing on beside the Sea of Galilee far in the north, He saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting fishing net into the sea because they were being fishermen. That was their vocation. 
Now, commercial fishing in those days was done by casting a large net from the boat, but before the sun came up. I found this out about uh, 15 years ago, that um, a net, when it's dark, the waters are also dark, the fish can't see it, they swim right into it. But when the sun is fully up and shining on the water, the water becomes clear, the fish see the net, they swim around it. That's why fishermen must work at night. So it's not quite dusk when he sees these two because they are casting the net. Jesus said to them, come after me, and I will make you all to become fishermen of men. So here's the call. Jesus is calling, and he says, come after me, which is the same thing as follow me. And he promises them that he will make them something they are not. Why? Because he will change them to become new people. And how will they become new? By being with him all the time. Now, he had previously declared himself king at the time of his baptism, And now he calls Simon and Andrew to him to follow him. God's son is the king who calls followers to himself. And then using his favorite word, at once, having left their nets, they followed him. Here's the response, the required response. The brothers immediately left behind their nets that they had used to catch fee in this Catch fish in the Sea of Galilee. That's easy to say unless you're speaking too fast. Because they knew Jesus would give them new tools when Jesus made them new men able to catch men to follow him because they are now following him. That's the chain of the Great Commission. So here's an application for us, putting together all Jesus has set up to this point in the chapter. We must learn to continually repent and have faith in Christ the King, to follow him so he will change us and make us to be able to call others to also follow him. You see, God's Son is the King who calls followers to himself. Then we're told, having gone on a little, he saw Jacob, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, also. Them in the boat, mending their nets. So now it is broad daylight. They can't fish anymore. They're on the shore for the day, and they're mending their nets for another night of fishing before they rest during the day. But at once... He called them to himself. So Jesus called Jacob and John to himself immediately. And it's easier than yelling out over the water. He's looking them right in the eye. Follow me. Jesus, God's son, is the king who calls followers to himself. And then the last words that we heard from Mark today are having left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, they went after him. So Peter and Andrew left their fishing tools behind, but Jacob and John left their father in the family business to go after Jesus.
But in other words, they responded to the call of Messiah, the king, by following him. God's son is the king who calls followers to himself. And now let's go to this uh, portion of Psalm 91. As the week went by, I just saw how this really talks about being in God, making God number one. So it says in a very short summary, those living in Yahweh most high are protected, protected from evils and plagues. And they're also guarded in their ways and lifted over obstacles. So again, my best literal word-for-word translation of the inspired psalm. Because thou, Yahweh, my refuge, the most high thou have made the habitation of thee. What's going on here? Well, this passage, this paragraph of the psalm is addressed to all people who have responded to the Most High Covenant God by choosing to live in Him as their refuge from their shelter, from danger. So we can either try to make it through the trials that I've already talked about in our own strength, or we can say, nope. Three-in-one covenant God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I'm in you. You're my refuge. You're the one who takes me out of danger. Continuing with the psalm, it will not befall the evil. Plague will not come near to thy tent. So here's protection. Here's a promise. Yahweh will protect those living in him from both evil and sickness of plague. Those living in Most High are protected. And then um, the last two verses all talk about the same thing and climax this paragraph. Because his angels he will command to thee to guard thee in all thy ways. On their hands they will lift up thee lest thou will strike on a stone thy foot. So again, people living in the Most High are now promised that he will send his angels to protect them in two ways. We already saw in Mark how the Father of Jesus the Most High sent angels to minister to his Son as a man during a time of great trial and testing. And now we realize this builds on a promise that was given over 500 years prior to Jesus coming to earth. All living in God most high, and it's only better now that we are following Jesus, will be guarded in their ways and borne over anything that makes them to stumble by angels, spiritual Beings of might that he sends their way. Those living in God most high are protected. That brings it all together. So let me just quickly wrap up what we've heard this morning. John prepared the way for the Savior Messiah by preaching and practicing 
baptism of repentance to forgiveness himself. And Jesus himself was baptized by John and received the Holy Spirit before being tested. And then he preached good news of God with commands to repent and believe. And after this, he called four fishermen to follow him, to be changed, and they obeyed him. And by their obedience to live in God's presence, personified in Jesus Christ, God himself, they opened themselves to receive the promises of God in a psalm of protection from Scripture. Bottom line, God's Son, the King, chooses and calls followers to himself. Let us follow him. And we'll find out more as we work through Mark's gospel between now and Easter.